Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntback Country Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how's it going today, man? Really good. Yeah, had a good weekend. Took my kids up skiing, which uh, I skied, we skied one time over Christmas, and then uh, I hadn't skied for 20 years prior to that, probably. Yeah. And uh, uh, But my kids expressed some interest, but I think some kid... Some boy in my daughter's class talked about skiing and she was like, I want to try that. So we tried it and she loves it. It was, uh-huh. it was awesome, man. Did the, did the bunny hill about 200 times over and over and over again. <laughs> my back hurts pretty bad from kind of like, you know, kind of helping the kids get down the hill, but man, we had yeah. a blast. Being hunched over and like keeping them up, I'm sure is like actually quite a bit of work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. I was pretty, pretty dang sore. Well, last week we did. Uh, a kind of non-standard Monday minute. That was when we kind of recapped our our year of 2023 in terms of like EXO and the podcast and shared some stats and people seemed to really appreciate that. Um, it was fun, a fun one to do for sure. We did have a follow-up question from that. Someone wrote in and said, in your uh, top five of 2023 podcast, you guys talked about some of the new plans for 2024 with things like new content, events, etc., but what about any new products? Are there any changes or additions to the K4 line for 2024 that you guys can talk about? So, Steve, what can we talk about? It's a real simple question. There's yeah, no changes. The uh, yeah, we obviously just launched K4 last year and fully plan to stick that around for you know four to five years. Um, I, well, there's a few accessories that I'm kind of chipping away on that may or may not see the light of day. It just depends on how they turn out. But, um, yeah, the, there's like a cell phone holder that I was working on, the, you know, something designed specifically like low profile to hold your phone that could attach to the, the chest or the hip belt. Um, I do need to work on a bag that attaches to the, uh, crib, um, kind of prototyped that a little bit last year and working on that. But uh, yeah, nothing, nothing major. I mean, obviously our, for us last year was the major year. And then now it's just a matter of like, as you could have deduced from the um, previous episode last week, where we talk about, you know, getting all of our data and being able to figure out and match kind of production to what sales will be. Now, now is a year for us where things get to run smooth. Right. And it's like a lot less headache and stress and, we're just kind of uh, becoming an efficient machine, just cranking out packs and um, taking care of the customers. So yeah, um, and then I'll, I'm always prototyping. Like you'll, you know, <laughs> uh, that's that's always going to exist for the future. But as far as anything planned to launch this year, yeah, that's just a few accessories. Yeah, we get a lot of accessory questions, um, and I think it sometimes gets overlooked. Um, Specifically with K4, especially now with the laser cut Molly, um, one is we obviously have our own accessories. And as you said, Steve, there's some some ideas in the works, but there's definitely not going to be a solution for every conceivable idea in terms of us making an accessory, especially where there's already great options on the market. And uh, it does get overlooked, I think, by customers somewhat how adaptable other accessories are to our packs which is great i mean if there's something that's molly compatible um you know there's the molly on the hip belt which is the four rows wide and then you have the single row stuff which is back where 
our Nalgene holder attaches, and then you have the harness molly for smaller accessories. So um, not that I'm trying to steer away sales from what we do, but everything we do is very specific and on purpose. And then there's other certain things that we're just not going to make, but there's probably a good solution out there for that's probably Molly compatible and would work great on our pack. So just don't be afraid to look at other options as well, especially when it gets into more unique um, requests, I would say. So mm -hmm. I'll leave it more open-ended yeah. like that. Yeah, that's probably on us to, we could do a page on the website, just talking out loud here, but <laughs> yeah. of Go, yeah, here, if you're looking for a holder for this specific Garmin product, uh, you know, FHF gear makes one, or I think Marsupial yep. makes some Molly attachments. And then you go into the military side, and there's 8 million pouches and stuff out there that you can attach to the pack via the Molly. So there's a lot of stuff out there, but we could maybe do a little resource for people. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Another thing for my to do list. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah, I like it though. <laughs> All right, diving into another listener question, uh, this guy wrote in and said, have you ever considered vacuum sealing your game bags before taking them into the field? I've been looking at this for next year. I'm in Alaska, and I thought that this would help keep my game bags dry in all, co in all conditions, but also cut down on bulk in my pack. That's a good question. It's definitely something that I have done. Not something I always do, but something I certainly have done. I do like uh, how much space it can save. Um, and to his point, they're obviously a bit protected as well. Game bags in general, whether I vacuum seal them or not, what I personally do is tend to put them in the rear hydration compartment on our packs, just at the very bottom. And they're just always in there. I don't have to worry about them falling out or being in the way. And obviously... Game bags aren't something you need to access very frequently. Uh, and then fortunately, if you do have a successful hunt, they're also easy to get to. So that's what I do in terms of space savings. Obviously, I, I personally tend to do that more on a extended hunt where space does matter. So uh, I did that for my sheep hunt, for example. One is I used smaller game bags um, being for sheep versus elk. So I will say in general, think of the type and size of game bags you pack for the very specific hunt and species you're doing that can make a big difference but then if you are doing a you know like the sheep hunt was a 10-day backpack hunt space matters i did vacuum seal them and that worked great uh this gentleman also actually followed up to his email and said he posed that same question on some facebook groups and forums and he said he was surprised at the response he received some people who tried vacuum sealing their game bags liked it, but those who tried it and didn't like it said it was because of the trash that it made. So you have this extra mm. vacuum seal bag. Mm -hmm. The hassle it caused, which I don't see that there's much hassle, or the fact that it creates a brick of compressed bags instead mm -hmm. of a malleable set of bags that can fit in random spots on the pack. So that was interesting feedback. Um, trash valid i mean you have a vacuum seal bag that is um not being used anymore i would equate that to food trash though i mean it's a small bag you're kind of generating a lot of trash unfortunately for a lot of food packaging and adding one more bag to that is not necessarily the end of the world um and then he mentioned a brick 
so what I personally do is I try and use a larger bag and kind of lay my game bags out flat before I vac seal them. So instead of a large brick, I actually have a pretty narrow, flat game bag when I compress them that fits back in that hydration bladder sleeve well. And then also, again, just doesn't take up a lot of bulk in the pack. So I thought that was interesting to have that follow-up feedback as well. But Steve, any pros, cons in your eyes? Yeah, I think I've thought about it. I want to say Cody Kellums. Uh, I've been on hunts with him where he did that in the past. I think my, I immediately went to, if you, I, I just don't see the need at all. And that's primarily because the game bags have gotten so light and so small that they just take up so little space that, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. But that's for, you know, the, the I, I actually been using for the most part some prototype ones that i sewed up quite a few years ago and I just keep using them and they're they're crazy light and um you just throw them in the pack and they're they're really just kind of out of sight out of mind um they're the remind like i think back, if i ever had that thought it had been like 15 years ago when i was using say like alaskan game bags like the the big mesh ones and yeah those things were bulky and took up a lot of space but the ones that we're using now just i mean Man, they, they're like just absolutely tiny. Um, the thought about keeping them dry in a vacuum seal bag, like, okay, I get it. But it's also at the same time, if if they get wet and it, say you, you know, you go to put them on the meat and they're a little damp, that at least with the bags I've been using, they're so paper thin that they're going to dry within, you know, if it's sunny outside, they're going to dry within 15 minutes of exposure, right? Um so I don't really see that as being a big, big deal. Um, and then the brick thing was immediately popped to my mind as well. Like that, I'm trying to do everything I can to avoid hard, lumpy objects in the pack because they just take up more space and, and don't allow you to, like, as people responded in that guy's comments, like, you know, if you're really tight on space, you can put two game bags here and stuff another one over here, another one over there. And um, So yeah, all those valid points to me, I think... I would, uh, I said, if you're, if you feel like that's would be beneficial, then I think reevaluate which game bags you're using. Cause there's probably some more lighter weight ones out there that don't, you know, aren't so bulky. Uh, but then I always go back to, you know, it's like you, I know what I know based off where I've hunted, right. Uh, the one time I hunted Colorado, I killed that bull and we hung it for like 24 hours and came back the next day. And the amount of blow flies that were on that was unbelievable i'd never seen anything like that in idaho i mean there was like thousands of them and it's like holy crap you you do have to have like a burly robust game bag for and i don't know if it's just that specific spot we we're in in colorado or if that's across the state but it was something i'd never seen uh in idaho or alaska like it was it was crazy so um i don't know how you know how you know that as a non-resident going to a state you're just gonna either find out the hard way or make sure you got like a really burly game bag just to be super cautious. But um, yeah, I guess typically for me, I'm not hanging rambling here. I don't, you know, usually kill something and you just pack it out. Right. Um, That was an early season warm hunt um, as well. So rambling. Yeah. The other thing that I would bring up as a larger thought is less about hey do i vacuum seal game bags or not but more about just space in your pack or the usability of things and we 
we talk at times about like repurposing gear, meaning is there one thing that serves multiple purposes? And game bags, you know, similar to what you do, Steve, I think with just your bivy, but like you put your bivy in a stuff sack that you use then as a shooting rest potentially. And game bags would be another great candidate for that. So game bags in, whether it's a small drawstring stuff sack, maybe even a roll top, little dry bag, um, you can tend to shape those, again, based on the size of the bag that you choose. And so you could create this little rear shooting bag that's maybe stuffed with your game bags that has some different dimensions to it, meaning height, width, etc., so that'd be another option to look at, in my opinion, would be, all right, I have these game bags. I don't need to access them frequently. I don't need to use them until the hunt is successful. Maybe I could turn them into a, a shooting rest, right? So um, that would be another thing to think through. Absolutely. Is that what you do, Steve? It's the bivy, right, that you put in your stuff sack? Uh, no, game bags and bivy. Yeah. Oh, game bags and bivy. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I, I actually... Uh primarily game bags because yeah, the bivy would be way too small yeah small and also um I, i've definitely done it in the past at times right but i think the last couple of years it's been like the extra socks stuff that i you know the bivy is something i'm getting in and out of uh every single day obviously where it's the game bags i was stuck like game bags and then yeah the extra pair of socks that i was stuffing in there um anything that i don't you know it's like okay i don't need those socks i don't you know, need for especially as like a late season hunt which typically is going to be rifle i may i'll probably pack two extra pairs of socks so that extra i've already got an extra one in the pack for access so yeah it's worked well cool we've been getting a lot i feel like uh, this has been a theme through 100 minutes for a while but more and more and more we just get so many optics questions which is fun i know that some of it may get a little like oh we've mentioned that talked about that etc um but this one in particular, I wanted to narrow down on it, came through recently. And this guy, the way he asked this question, I think was very helpful because he had some specifics. So he said, I can afford a set of premium binoculars for 2024, and I want to invest in some Swarovski NL Pures. I'm in Colorado, and I hunt all the big game available. I do archery elk hunt and also uh, have some archery moose opportunities. And then everything else and all big game species, I also hunt with a rifle. I almost always have a tripod with me. If you had to pick one set of binos, would you get the 10s or the 12s? And he also says, I currently do not own a spotting scope. I love this question because of the specificity of it. It's one thing to mm -hmm. ask 10s or 12s or 8s or 10s is like a broad question. It's a totally different thing to say. I'm looking at this specific model of binos. I hunt this game in this state in these seasons with this weapon. I do have a tripod almost all of the time. And I also do or don't have these other optics with me. And when you have like that whole list of specifics, you're well on your way to getting, uh, making a better decision and I think getting a better recommendation from someone because they have a lot more context. So I just want to point out that this question is so much better than, hey, should I get 10s or 12s as a blank statement? Um, just because he explained more of like where he's hunting, how, when, what type of support he has, et cetera. So 
all that said, Steve, I love your take. One thing that is unique to me about the peers is that they do have such a killer field of view. So I tend to generally prefer 10s over 12s, but the peers with the field of view definitely makes me consider the 12s a little bit, especially since he mentioned that he almost has a tripod with him. But then I also have hesitation because he mentioned archery hunting and hand-holding 12s in an archery scenario. So I definitely have some yeah. good thoughts, but where are you at? I have spent a fair amount of time with 12s, um, not personally on my neck, but with like a Boshma had a pair for a while that he took on uh, my Frank Church sheep tag. I, I would immediately throw those out, in my opinion, is like something that was, if you're looking for, it's got a special use case, right? The, and the reason I throw them out is your binoculars, good majority of the time, you're hand-holding, right? Um, and the 12s are going to be, you're going to have a tough time getting the shake reduced. You know, you'd almost, with 12s, unless you've just got incredibly steady hands and you're incredibly fit, right, to where the second you stop hiking, you're not breathing hard, you recover right away, like, um, there's going to be a lot of shakes. So you're going to almost always have to default to, if I want to glass that, I got to now sit down on my butt, brace my elbows on my knees and glass that way. Um, I think there's going to be a big downside. The, the only time I'd take 12s is if I knew like on a sheep hunt would be a good example where I'm, I know 90% of the time I'm on my butt glassing off of a tripod and I'm glassing massive country, right? I, I want to really pick apart a hillside that's two miles away for like elk hunting, deer hunting, anything where, you know, just your average hunt where conditions and the terrain is basically, you know, you're going to be 500 to a thousand yards. 12s are just going to be overkill. Um, so yeah, yeah, I immediately throw out the 12s just as an all around. And then I would argue to the guy, like I would really look at eights, um, but I personally pack eights. Uh, I just think they're fantastic. The wide, like people think, I think, you know, the SIG is a good example of with the Zulu sixes, right? The image stabilized binos of how, how much more stuff you can see when things are stable. There's, I don't think people really understand like how much less shake there is in the binos. And you can really see that going from eights to twelves of um, when you stop and you want to pick apart a hillside, you know, pretty quickly um, the, the eights you're going to see, you're going to see more game because the image is more stable then then you are going to miss game because it's not magnified as much um so yeah that certainly my take is i would you know like in a perfect world you buy a set of eights and tens and, and go out on a hunt for a weekend and <laughs> swap back and forth between two and then return the other one obviously they're you know you're out like whatever the heck's peers are 3500 bucks or four grand now I, I don't know um but uh yeah that, that'd be my opinion yeah is and I, I took them on like I I had those eight by forty two peers uh, on my doll sheep hunt in Alaska in twenty twenty, and everyone else was running tens, and I saw like it, it was even though I had less amount of magnification, I saw more animals and identified more stuff than than everybody else did, like bar none, um, and that's big open country looking at white dots that are two miles away, you know. Um, the resolution on the peers is so outstanding that you can really like, oh yeah, that's a sheep. No, that's a rock. That's, you know, stuff like that. Like it's, uh, yeah, I would highly suggest eights. 
where have you landed on tripod support for peers? Because I know that there's been some different options. And I, I don't run peers, so I haven't stayed fully up to date. But I believe you've tried a few different things. What do you do to connect peers Ooh, to a tripod? Who is it? It's like Epic Outdoors, I believe, makes a little... I think you void the warranty probably, but uh, they make a little threaded adapter that the little Swarovski logo thing that's right at the front of the focus wheel, mm-hmm. you pop that off and there are, there's like a tiny amount of threads right there and they sell you a little um, adapter. I'm pretty sure it's Epic Outdoors um, and you put a little um, thread locker on it, screw it in there and uh, and then yeah, and then just run the Swarovski tripod adapter which that thing's phenomenal. It just weighs, you know, it should weigh an ounce and it weighs like three ounces or something like that. Like it's a, um, it bothers me because it weighs a little bit. It's just really burly built definitely like for all purpose birding and stuff like that. And not, not so much a focus on um, lightweight hunting, but I, I get it from Swirl's perspective. Yeah. But the, what I like about that and how the, just got a quick lever that, and it's kind of uh, essentially you've got a rod that inserts into it and then that clamps and it clamps in all directions around it and it allows you to to rotate the binoculars there's a lot of binocular holders on the market um, that aren't you can't like if you're on the tripod and you're glassing you you, you need to level up the, the binoculars right a lot of the times and some of them are very restrictive in that uh, like an asiac clamp uh, really cool lightweight product but unless you're running a ball head you can't level the binoculars back out so kind of super annoying that you got to then go to like the tripod leg if you're running you know a traditional like three-way pan head then to level the binos back out is you're just glassing terrain right like if you're glassing this way and you you pan over 180 degrees the other way now all of a sudden you got to make an adjustment that takes a few extra seconds versus just tilting the binos yeah that's definitely something I overlook because I have been running the Asiac clamp, but I've also been running more ball heads than pan heads in yeah. the last couple of years. So, um, which you're it freaking is... crazy to do. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the pros and cons, man. <laughs> I don't know whether we'll ever convert you or I care to try, but I, dude, I just don't. I like it. I like the simplicity of. Really comes down to what you said, like leveling. I just, I really yeah. like it. Um, yeah, not only for binos, but, you know, shooting from, et cetera. It's definitely not yeah, as... From the shooting perspective, I, I get it, yeah. But if you're ever really wanting a glass of hillside and pick it apart with a spine scope, it's... Correct. It's miserable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if I was like a, you know, hunting high country mule deer, especially with archery, right? Like, it probably would drive me absolutely insane, for sure. But spring bear, like rifle elk, all that stuff, where it's glassing, potentially shooting... I, I've really enjoyed it. All right, guys, uh, we'll wrap today's right there. We have some great podcasts coming for you guys. So make sure you are subscribed. We have um, some of the state agency podcasts coming this week on Wednesday. We'll be releasing a conversation with Wyoming Fish and Game. So if you just want to learn more about hunting in those states, tag opportunities, changes in herd dynamics, et cetera, we obviously can't answer every single question in an hour conversation, uh, but we are really focusing all these conversations on the listener questions that we've gotten per state. Um, we are, uh, let's see, we have Wyoming, Montana, New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho, 
in the works. So either recorded or scheduled. Uh, we're working on some other states that are proving to be difficult, which <laughs> maybe we'll talk more about that later at a different date. But anyway, a lot of cool content coming on that stuff since it is kind of like application season. Guys are planning hunts. There's a lot of that coming. We got follow-ups still from listener before and after the hunts and new interviews, a whole lot more. So make sure you stay tuned. And then also just let us know what you want to hear. If you have any questions, suggestions, et cetera, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon.